0: Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. This is the Tools for Resilience series, wellness and mental health chats focused on helping you grow and feel good about who you are. We'll be exploring ideas and practical tools designed to help you get comfortable with the vulnerability inherent in being human and the benefits of embracing it. And we'll reveal ways that working with this vulnerability builds resilience so that you can deepen your resources, adapt more, bounce back better and go on to thrive. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the extra bonus content. Food. It means pleasure, creativity, sharing and joy, and also anxiety, fear, confusion and frustration. We're recording this podcast for release just before Christmas, which I know for many people can be a really hard time when it comes to food. Between the Christmas cake and the booze, the cheese board and the roast potatoes... It's possible to consume a mind-boggling amount and as a nation that's exactly what we tend to do. Sometimes it's carefree indulgence but sometimes it can trigger a really hard reaction whether that's post-food guilt or anxiety around self-control and what you should or shouldn't do. And these are just two of many elements of a difficult relationship with food that many of us have. What makes food even more challenging is the commercial nature of the industry Most of us have been absorbing diet narratives for years, looking at images of people with zero body fat and being told that that's the optimum body, while also experiencing a barrage of advertising for food products with ingredients that will keep us coming back for more and more. We could also have inherited problems from our parents, whether that's unhealthy habits with food or being shamed by them for not being an expected body shape or size. When there's no ease around food, it can make you feel like there's very little flexibility in your life. It affects everything from socialising to relationships and self-esteem. So where do you start being more resilient on this topic? Well, it's a very complex subject and has an equally complex and very individual answer. But a good place to start is to begin disconnecting from the external narratives you're absorbing around food and tapping into the signals of your own body instead. This is what many people know as intuitive eating. Ella Law is an inclusive health and nutrition counsellor working with a weight inclusive non-diet approach to promote intuitive eating. Ella has a BSc in psychology and an MSc in public health nutrition. She's registered with the Association for Nutrition and is a certified intuitive eating counsellor. Having worked within a weight centric framework for several years prior to becoming a certified intuitive eating counsellor, she knows how harmful weight loss messages can be. And she's witnessed that intentional weight loss programs just don't work for the vast majority of people and don't last into the long term. In fact, it can cause a lot of damage. Instead, Ella works with clients on rejecting diet culture messages, making peace with food and getting to know what your body needs and what makes you feel great. Her work isn't about diet rules and food plans, but exploring intuitive eating. So Ella, welcome.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting
0: me on. So let's begin, um, can you just start, tell us a bit about what intuitive eating actually is?
1: Yeah, sure, um, in a nutshell, um, intuitive eating for me is uh, stepping away from basically focusing on external messages and having people tell you when and what and how to eat, to listening to your body a little bit more and listening to your your body communicating with you. So telling you you know, when you're hungry, when you're full, but not just that, also thinking about the emotional aspects of eating. So intuitive eating basically covers the emotional, the psychological and the physical aspects of eating. So all of those three things are combined in 10 different principles that were uh, put together by a couple of dietitians over in the States um, a few years back. Um, and it builds a framework with, we, with which we can kind of move to a, more intuitive way of eating rather than following some meal plans or some some external guidance.
0: Food and eating and, and our relationship with food is a really it's a complex topic for a lot of us. Um, I've got a statistic here that between 1.25 and 3.4 million people in the UK are affected by an eating disorder. Um, 25% of those identify as male. Um, but I feel like even without a diagnosis many people still have such a complicated relationship with food so how do you think that's come about?
1: Yeah um, I I would say probably the, the statistics are probably higher but a lot of them as you said are not diagnosed and um, it, it's 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 really complex there's a complex question there's probably an even more complex answer to that I I have my own little thoughts on why eating disorders are on the rise I think part of it is that if we're being restrictive around food that's generally applauded that's generally something that is seen as oh aren't you good oh you have so much willpower oh you look so good um it's, it's generally something that gets praised in society for being in control. Um, and my little theory is that now in, in in this day and age, you know, compared to maybe 50 years ago, we are so overwhelmed with just daily life, you know, everything that we are surrounded by, including social media and the just the sheer amount of stuff that we deal with every day can cause a lot of overwhelm and can cause you to feel out of control and to get a little bit of control back into your life, you know, controlling what and how you eat is a reasonably simple step to take and that can get out of control in some people. And, you know, dieting is definitely a precursor for eating disorders. That doesn't mean that every diet leads to an eating disorder, but the majority of eating disorders have had some way of dieting um, as a precursor so it's yeah it's really really complex the other thing that I'd like to add and I always feel like gets missed out a little bit is that um, a lot of eating disorders get missed in uh, people in larger bodies because they don't fit that sort of stereotypical um, uh, look in inverted commas of someone with an eating disorder Um, and you know there's, there's a huge number of people that um, don't get diagnosed just because they, they don't fit that stereotype.
0: And that in itself is kind of a byproduct of a really problematic view of health and food, isn't it?
1: Yep, exactly, exactly. And this, this problematic view is that basically thin is healthy. That's mm. what we think. Um, and it's really not true that it's, it's just so um, simplistic and i think you know a lot of healthcare professionals still operate on that basis and i think that really needs to change to to make a meaningful difference
0: i feel also that one area that we can't ignore is is the food lobby when it comes to because it has a sort of almost completely invisible impact on us and yet a huge impact um so there's a there's been a 33 page document released on How this was some time ago, on how the food lobby um, fights sugar regulation in the EU, so to basically stop its products being regulated for health. Um, And I, I can link to that in the show notes, but I think that's a good example of how you don't have to look that far to see evidence of sort of corporate interests pushing, like steamrolling over what would be good for the individual's And and I know that you can come back at that with an argument of like, well, people need to be able to think for themselves and should make their own decisions. But the way that we're barraged, like you said, the overwhelm of advertising and the way it kind of insidiously leaks into every single area of life, um, it makes it quite hard to think clearly when you're trying to make choices around food, especially if the labeling is a bit misleading, etc. So do you think all this is starting to change?
1: oh do i think it's starting to change no I, at the moment i don't i think i think everyone is fighting everybody with this and i think the problem i think it's a it's a wider issue i think the issue is that those in power basically make the rules and you just have to follow the money to to um, understand you know what is their ulterior motive now i don't have a particular issue with the sugar industry, because I think you know, demonising sugar in itself is not very helpful at all. But I think that generally, the, the industry, um, including the diet industry, they have so much money to um, continuously reinvent the message so that we buy into it. They have the best marketing strategist they have, um, you know, they've, they've got huge resources available. So, of course, they're going to sell us something that sells because they want to make more money. So it's it, it's a very feels a bit like in in my role as an intuitive eating and anti diet nutritionist it feels a bit like sort of um swimming against the stream all the time and um it's it's a struggle because you know we in my arena are just not as powerful as as the big the big fry you know the, the people who have the money to lobby
0: so in in your sort of role in the way that, mm-hmm. that you deal with people how do you notice that this impacts on the narratives that we repeat to ourselves internally about food? I mean, that is a huge question, um, yeah. <laughs> examples.
1: Yeah, no, it's a brilliant question. And you know what, it's such an important question because a lot of the time we absorb those things without even thinking about it and questioning them. We, we I mean, we've probably all grow, grow, grown up in a uh, society where You know, our family, our mums, our grands were dieting. Our dads might have been um, over-exercising and dieting. You know, we've we've grown up with this narrative that, you know, you need to shrink yourself. You need to be thin to be healthy. Um, The health aspect is probably a bit newer it used to be just about you know looks but now the health angle has come in which guilt trips us even more um because we all want to be healthy right so um yeah it's, it's this narrative that we've absorbed from pretty much the day we were born and it gets reinforced when we talk to friends and family and colleagues and it's just so insidious it's just there all the time you just have to notice in a conversation, say, with a colleague, um, they're talking about the latest diet and how much weight they've lost on it. Um, or they, they say, oh, that celebrity, look at them, they're doing this. Or um, I have heard you shouldn't eat after that time. And it, it's in our conversations all the time. And we don't necessarily consciously notice this. We We are not always consciously aware of it. And then the problem is, even if we are, we often don't have or we feel like we don't have enough knowledge for a comeback for arguing against it. We might feel actually this doesn't feel quite right with me, But we haven't really got any evidence or we haven't got any arguments to counter that kind of narrative so you know it feels really it does feel actually quite vulnerable to to be in that situation so we just go along with it because that's easier and it helps us helps us to bond with others you know we have the same kind of topics to talk about so yeah it's it's deeply deeply ingrained in people and when you start to unravel that that feels very very scary for a lot of people
0: yeah, because it very it is very much what you're used to. Mm-hmm. Like if I've gone through phases in my life when I've suddenly lost a lot of weight, usually because something really hard has happened to me emotionally, and then it's quite difficult to have someone
1: come up to you and go, "God, you look amazing." Yeah, <laughs> like, I know, right? Yeah, like when I feel like shit, but mm-hmm. thanks. <laughs> yeah. And and that story is just so, so common with a lot of people who were their most at their most miserable when they were at their thinnest. Mm. Because to get to that place of being thin, you either you were ill or something traumatic happened or you were just restricting so that the, all the joy was zapped out of your out of your daily life. So very often, um, you know, we, we don't we don't look past that because you know what what's past that is something scary challenging and not very pleasant and we don't really want to go there so we'll stick with the narrative that feels like oh okay we're all on the same page here
0: so what do you think are the most damaging diet ideas and narratives maybe i imagine there's quite a lot so maybe the top two
1: (laughs) I had talk too. Oh my goodness, where to start? Well, I'll tell you what, I think rather than sort of picking on a particular idea, I think the the overriding issue that I've got with dieting is that um, thin is healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, That sort of thought that if you are slimmer, you are a better person and you are a healthier person. I think that is the most damaging thing um, about diets, full stop. There are some diets that are just completely bonkers, to be honest with you. Um, And there are some that are so cleverly disguised as um, a healthy lifestyle program that you don't even know that you're on a diet. But the thing is, as soon as you're restricting, as soon as you are being told when to eat and how to eat and what to eat, you are on a diet. And even if the program tells you otherwise, you are. So, yeah, so the most damaging thing is you are not good enough as you are, you would be a better person and a healthier person if you were slimmer. I think that is the sort of underlying, really quite dangerous narrative.
0: So, why is it important that that we sort of notice the way that we talk to ourselves about food?
1: Yeah. So, language is is so so powerful, isn't it? Um, I think when we when we stop and we notice all of the negative words that we use to describe ourselves. Um, often they can be linked to food. And if you go back to, um, to children, you know, when they hear the message, oh, I've been so naughty, I had that cake, the child absorbs that. And what happens when they eat that cake is they think, oh, I'm eating that cake, so I must be naughty too. And even if it's not a conscious process, we kind of absorb that message. And then as adults, we, we just develop a huge amount of guilt and shame around eating. Um, and it's not necessarily a logical thing. It's just there because we've grown up with that sort of message that, you know, eating certain things is bad and eating other things is good. So we, we attach way too much moral value to, to food and our eating. Um, and yeah, and we, we make that part of us. We make that part of our identity and that can become really quite harmful
0: I think one of the reasons a lot of people go on diets might be consciously because they want to look different. Mm -hmm. But maybe there's an unconscious desire to unlearn some of the sort of challenging habits they've got into with food and just find a comfortable place with food. Mm -hmm. because I know that's the motivation I've had sometimes is, is to try and find a, a way to get comfortable with food. Mm-hmm. And it's never worked out because, as you mm-hmm. say, they don't. But if that's the motivation, what's the alternative to going on a diet?
1: Well, the intuitive eating is, is, is a real alternative. But as I said earlier, that can be really challenging because a diet gives you some sort of sense of security. And it also helps you to... Um, it, it basically it gives you a framework. And it gives you some strategies, whereas intuitive eating relies on you learning to listen to yourself, which is, you know, we're not used to that. We're not used to trusting our body that it does the right thing. And we are being told from day one that, you know, you can't trust your body because if you did, and you would just be eating all the sweets, all the chocolates, and you'd be turning into the size of the moon and then pop, you know, that that's the fear that's being instilled in us. So, course we don't trust our body so if there's someone selling you a strategy that keeps you on the straight and narrow i'm using air quotes here obviously your listeners can't see that but um that sounds very appealing doesn't it and it makes it sound like oh that that's that's easy i'll do that that gives me a result whereas intuitive eating feels challenging because it doesn't do that it kind of it, it makes you learn to swim in the grey a little bit. It's not very black and white and that can be really scary. So there's no quick fix? (laughs) No. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's all all about learning and exploring. Um, But ultimately what it does is it'll lead to... Um, resilience it'll lead to confidence it'll lead to self-acceptance and self-love even Um, and it'll lead to you actually being in tune with yourself again and, and putting yourself on the list of priorities
0: and that gray area you've you've just talked about uncertainty that is vulnerability isn't it and that's the thing that we often want to get away from Um, so if you want to if if that feels familiar to someone and and they want to do they want to start behavior change Mm. what's the starting point and what actually goes into changing behaviors for the long term around food
1: yeah that's a really good question i would say that a a good starting point um, is starting to notice and becoming aware Um, in my work, I, I I work a huge amount um, on mindfulness and not in the, in the sort of stereotypical, oh, we need to take some time and we need to sit down and probably meditate a little bit on it. Not in that sense, but more in a mindful moments and noticing and becoming aware of what's going on. And in terms of um, approaching that, what you can do is you can look at Again, the three things, the physiological, the psychological and the emotional levels of that. And and just notice, oh, what thought just popped into my head? And I wonder where that came from and be really curious about it rather than judgmental. So the mindfulness aspect is all about becoming curious and observing, but not judging it. So that thought is there, whether you like it or not, you might as well be curious about it and explore where does that come from? Where's that belief? come from where does it originate where did i hear it for the first time and then feel 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 into your body and see you know what do you notice in your body what's going on in terms of you know that thought does that cause any emotional reaction and where in my body does that sit so you don't need to do anything initially you just observe you just notice what's going on Um, and yeah and and the other thing sort of more externally is you can start For sort of becoming aware of the diet messages around you you know in that conversation in that film that you watch you know just look at the protagonist of a story in a a film you know what body are they in and if they are in a in in an unusual body for the kind of films that we tend to watch why is that and what is their story and just just noticing your social media feed you can you can start sort of becoming aware and I think that is really really important to start becoming aware and then you can kind of look into you know, what do I want to do about it but yeah the first steps absolutely becoming aware noticing um, and exploring that a little bit further so
0: that's interesting because in like the coaching that I do, often people come and they want to make a decision. They've made a decision that they're going to do something, mm-hmm. um, but they've made that decision before and the yeah. decision hasn't worked. And the journey we end up going on together is working out why that didn't work, mm-hmm. out what the triggers are to send them off down the wrong route. So mm-hmm. it sounds it sounds like something quite similar in, in with food, like what's the backstory? It sounds like it's more about understanding yourself before making actual changes.
1: Oh, God, yes, 100%. I think I, a lot of the things that I talk to my clients about are not about food, which is quite surprising given that I'm a nutritionist and an intuitive eating counsellor. But um, we, we often don't talk about food at all. Food is food is more of a side effect or um, our a, a, a relationship with food is a symptom of something else that's going on. Because food itself hasn't got any any agency we just use food to I don't know to numb to soothe to punish as something that doesn't talk back that doesn't challenge us you know food is easy so you know our relationship with food tends to be because there's something else going on in our life and that therefore it's either a healthy and, and good relationship or it's a it's a negative and harmful relationship so yeah it's um Absolutely. I I would say definitely noticing and exploring before you can think about, you know, what can you change?
0: And what role does
1: self-compassion play in this process? Huge, huge role. I think self-compassion is... It's probably the first thing that I, I want people to work on when they start working with me because there's such a, such a huge amount of guilt and shame and and um, feeling like a failure and feeling like they've done something wrong. And I always say that, you know, you, if, if it's, for example, about dieting, that you didn't fail at dieting, the diets failed you because they are not designed to work. And sort of just sometimes just hearing that is a huge relief for people. Um, and then also, you know, that for most people, their relationship with food is not their fault either because they've grown up in a family where there were lots of sort of negative associations around eating or food, or it might've been a a trauma they experienced that didn't have anything to do with food, but that then um, led to someone having um, an unhealthy relationship with food. So yeah, generally, it is not your fault and learning to give yourself some compassion by, you know, there's loads of different exercises you can do in terms of compassion, but also just to remind yourself that it's not, not your fault. So, so important.
0: I think a lot of people find that difficult. I know mm. that in the past, because it feels like letting yourself off the hook,
1: yeah. which
0: then feels like the behavior will continue, but actually it does the opposite.
1: Yeah yeah that's a really good point actually, that you think that you're you're giving yourself a get out of jail free card, but it's not that, is it 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 really yeah you you will know that with your with your clients as well that you know turning it around and and learning to be compassionate to yourself just makes you you know feel less guilty and less bad about what went on and more. Yeah, more compassionate to to yourself and I, I, I sometimes just say you know would you say that and would you do that to a friend and they're like no no never never but we do that to ourselves all the time so learning to be kinder to ourselves is
0: yeah so important mm.
1: when we spoke before
0: this recording we talked a bit about how um the relationship with food can change for people with menstrual cycles mm. so can you elaborate a little bit on how that Sort of happens and how people can approach it.
1: Mm. Yeah, I just do sort of a little disclaimer. I'm obviously, I'm not a, a hormonal kind of expert, but I have noticed because most of the people I work with identify as female and have cycles. So there's a there's a um, often a, a, a real overlap with their how their relationship to food changes throughout the month, and hormones can have a real. Impact on how how hungry we feel, what kind of foods we crave. Um, And likewise, if we say, for example, we restrict food, that can have a knock-on effect on our hormones. So it's a bi-directional kind of relationship. So I I always approach that with, as I said, not being an expert, but I when when I ask people to maybe do a little journaling exercise or chart their emotions and thoughts around food at different meal times. I sometimes suggest to add a column for where are you in your menstrual cycle right now and when you do that what you can do is you can establish some patterns and you can notice oh yeah so last time same time that that month um, it, it, it felt exactly the same and I was craving x y and z and I was feeling like this so when you do that for a couple of months you can establish these patterns and that in itself can be really quite healing because you notice that is why so I'm not just I don't know greedy have no willpower power um, lazy whatever whatever negative thoughts come to mind it's like oh okay so it is in connection with my hormones and that is why I'm doing this with food so it can be really helpful
0: I think that kind of data gathering on yourself is absolutely Mm. vital especially if you do have a menstrual cycle because you do that thing every month of like why do I feel like this and then your period starts, and you're like oh yeah and that's Happens for decades, you know, <laughs> before you realise that if you write it down and look back on it, yeah. you realize, as you say, yeah. you can stop shaming yourself and actually be more accepting and sort of your ally rather
1: than your enemy. Exactly. And, and it feeds back into what we talked about just before is about compassion. You can give yourself some more compassion. You know, you know why. And you can say to yourself, oh, okay, so, yes, my body really just wants to eat. I don't know, whatever, chocolate is a stereotypical food that comes to mind. Um, and I'm, I'm going to allow it to have that because it makes it feel good in that moment, yeah.
0: So, yeah, to, to anyone who's listening to this and to your inner critic, if they might be piping up, um, <laughs> self-compassion is the way, it's the pathway to change it. It's what sort of lubricates, <laughs> that's the awful word. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's what smooths the path Yeah, to change with food with anything really so especially as we come into Christmas um, it's mm. a really good time to start practicing self-compassion yeah um, so coming into Christmas this can be a tough time it's a joyful time it can be a tough time and it can be a tough time around food um, so what would you recommend for someone who's feeling a little bit sort of trepidatious about christmas and food and who wants to feel safe
1: yeah that's such an important topic at the moment isn't it i mean if you, it's not just christmas it's halloween it's the beach holiday it's you know easter chocolates it's, it's never a dull moment in diet land um, but christmas especially is one of those times where we spend a lot of time with friends and family and sometimes it's friends and family that we haven't seen for a while so our body might have changed over however long and that makes us feel very scared because we, we, we're we worried about what, what would people say what will people do um and then also we always have some very insensitive relatives that just make stupid comments on our bodies or on what what we chose to eat um so th- there's all sorts of, of stuff to navigate that is kind of out of our control in the sense of you know people saying stuff to us, the diet talk, that kind of nonsense. Um, and then there's the, the worry about eating too much and this kind of binge restrict thing going on where we we skip a couple of meals because we're going out for a big meal in the evening or we eat everything up to Christmas and then we think, oh, we'll go on a diet in the new year and make up for all of that. So there's, there's a huge amount of complex stuff going on. So I would say, generally just become aware of where you tend to start restricting. So if you are someone who will say, I'm not going to have breakfast or lunch if I'm going out for dinner, think about the repercussions that has on you, A, emotionally, because you start being very um, uh, anxious around food because it's it's a fear thing. And then maybe think about, you know, the the repercussions of not eating during the day. You might just do some a lot of makeup eating in the evening and really just eat as much as you can because your body just needs that energy. Um, And then also what effect does skipping meals have on you during the day? You know, your mood, your blood sugar levels. they will all go nosedive. Um, And is is that a good idea when you're working, when you're looking after children? You know, whatever. You know, it's it's something to consider whether that's a a sensible choice to make. Um, And also bearing in mind that you are allowed to eat. You are allowed to have three meals a day regardless of whether it's Christmas or the middle of March, it really is as simple as that. But sometimes that feels like, no, possibly, I can't possibly do that. Um, other thing I'd say is practice comebacks when you, uh, when you know that you're going to have to deal with Auntie Betty. Now, any Bettys that are listening, I do apologize for using your name, but just brings to mind if auntie Betty makes a stupid comment on, or should she really be having that extra mince pie or saying, Ooh, you put on a little bit of weight or you turned a bit chubby. If auntie Betty is likely to say those things, you can, you can practice your response and that depends on your bandwidth or that depends on, you know, (laughs) how close you are to auntie Betty, but you could, for example, just leave that conversation. You know, there's, there's always that, Ooh, oh I'm just getting a really important phone call let me just go and take that and just leave the room and don't return to that conversation or you can change the subject and say yeah that's interesting but have I shown you the photo of my cat recently you know change the subject or you could sort of go in two feet and say look I'm not talking about that right now I'm trying to make a, a, my relationship with food in my body um heal and um any talk like that is very triggering for me and I'd rather not talk about it so depending on where you're at and how you feel you can kind of practice these things and and be prepared for those kind of comments um and then the last thing is to kind of think about you know what is Christmas all about it's about being with people we love. It's about enjoyment and joy and, and um, peace. And if we are in a place of turmoil around food and our bodies, that peace is just not going to happen for us because we're like, we're constantly anxious and worried about it. Um, and we probably won't enjoy this amazing, delicious food that we can only get once a year um, as much as we could. So yeah, there's lots of different angles to approach this from. Um I'm I'm actually if, if anyone is interested, I'm actually doing a little advent calendar on my socials um with like a little tip for every day in December up to, to Christmas. So um there might be some nuggets there for people to to pick up on.
0: Perfect. Um well
1: I will link your social
0: profile in the show mm-hmm. notes for anyone who wants to do that. The other sort of big narrative around this time of year is, you know, coming into the new year, new year, new you, all Mm -hmm. of that kind of thing. Um, So if the idea of a change in behaviour or, you know, approaching the fresh new year with goals Mm -hmm. appeals to someone, Mm -hmm. um, what tip would you give anyone who's trying to do things differently with food in general and feels Mm -hmm. like that's a good time to start but doesn't want to go down the diet route?
1: Mm yeah i mean january is a, is a is a brilliant sort of clean slate moment and some people diss it i i don't mind it too much i think having having this time of year where we can start something new and start something different as long as it's not a diet um is, is not necessarily a bad thing so i i'd say if people are interested in exploring intuitive eating there's a huge amount of free information out there um there's a huge number of really, really good podcasts um, that um, people can start listening to to just sort of absorb a little bit of that message and get a little bit more um, knowledge on what that actually, what intuitive eating is all about. Um, put some some books on your on your Christmas wish list and start reading them and and see you know if if there's anything in there for you. Um, yeah, generally I'd say immerse yourself a little bit in in that kind of world um, and see how it resonates with you. It might be like, no, this is not for me. I don't agree with this. I don't. I don't want to hear any more about it. But I would say the majority of people when they hear about intuitive eating for the first time, it's a bit of a relief that there is there is a way of. Making peace with food and your body that um, that doesn't include dieting. It it just takes it just takes that one link that then leads to another link, so that you can then sort of look into and read up and listen to some of um, the more alternative messages that aren't around losing weight and shrinking your body and becoming a better you, because you are already as good as it gets you don't need to change yourself as in you don't need to shrink yourself you don't need to do anything to your body to become a better person um, and it's sort of maybe taking the focus away from that this kind of notion of having to fix yourself all the time and maybe looking at well how can I be kinder to myself so that I feel that I value myself more and that I value who I am as a person more.
0: So maybe this is a great time of year for like a detox, as in a digital detox, yes. and like detoxing all the sort of negative mm. narratives um, mm. and just loving who you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing to do, actually. It's one of the, the first steps if you want to reject the diet mentality, which is the, the first principle of intuitive eating is to unfollow, and delete and mute any kind of content that you find triggers you into thinking, oh, I, I'm not good enough. So whatever that is, whether that is diet or exercise related or just a, a sort of a general downer, you know, when you follow someone on social media and you compare and you think, oh, I'm not as good or my life isn't as good. That's that's an alarm bell that should ring and make you think, actually, do I want to follow this person and feel really rubbish about me? Or maybe I can delete that account and follow someone who brings me a little bit more of a, an uplift. Mm, definitely. Mm. So the
0: last question I usually ask on these podcasts is what's your one note on vulnerability? So that's the one thing that you would like someone listening to this to take away on the topic of the vulnerability of food. Mm. I've,
1: yeah, I've, I've I've thought about this because you obviously mentioned this and I've listened to your podcast and I find it really difficult to be very concise with this. But I think the one thing is that um, letting letting go of of dieting and diet mentality um and doing something that serves you rather than that is something society prescribes we do can be super super vulnerable um but actually allowing for that to happen and anything that comes along with it like body grief and um, feeling of losing control over eating all of those really really quite vulnerable things will ultimately help you to grow and to build strength and build resilience and and foster self-acceptance and self-love so yeah I I would say that's probably the closest I can come to some concise answer to that question
0: (laughs) you're spot on
1: Uh, Well, that's been such an interesting chat. Thank you so much
0: for coming on.
1: Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting about this and um, it's it's been great talking to you. Thank you. This has been Notes on Vulnerability
0: and I've been Alex, your host. If you especially enjoyed this topic and would like to go deeper into how to take action on it, don't forget that you can hit the subscribe button to access all the additional tips, ideas and support. I'm a resilience coach and you can find me on Instagram at alexshorecoaching, S-H-O-R-E, or online at www.shore-coaching.com. Notes on Vulnerability also has its own Instagram, at notesonvulnerability.